0: Good evening, good evening, and welcome back to Weep from the Chat. Um, we've got quite a busy and big episode lined up for you all this evening. Um, thanks very much for tuning in uh, wherever you are. And of course, hopefully maybe listening to uh, a rerun of this on whatever podcast app you use as well. Um, but yeah, we're going to be talking to three guests this evening. Um, if you bear with us, we've got some people live on Zoom uh, joining us and um, someone in the studio as well. Um, yeah, we're going to be talking about universal basic income um, and specifically universal basic income for farmers. Um, and yeah, I think I'm looking forward to the show. I think it's going to be good. Um, but before we sort of start and introduce our guests, um, how are you, Dave? How have you been? How's your last month been?
1: I am very well, Mike. Yeah, very, very good. How has my last month been? Um, well, it doesn't feel like a month since we were last here. No you know just the season everything everything that's going on this year just seems to be like flying by on a conveyor belt um yeah it's just the months seem to be going by like you know the old uh, what was it generation game where at the end there was all the different prizes you know, to remember oh, yeah. what was going through on the conveyor belt and I'm trying to remember the weeks and like what actually's been <laughs> happening and what's been going on and there's probably a wobbly man in there which was always one of the mm. prizes wasn't it so anyway um Rambling side, what's been going on? Well, you know, we're coming into almost the last month of the growers program. So the students will be leaving in October, which feels terrifying that we're kind of coming towards September. Yes. yeah. Next week, um, yeah. which is just like where has August gone? Um, you know, the, the farm's looking verdant. I was saying, you know in both positive and potentially negative ways. You know, that we've so we finally had some summer.
0: We have. To, I mean, today
1: especially. Today and yesterday. You know, we got some warmth. You're going to be potentially coming in on Friday to help us harvest the wheat, yes. which is um, yeah, really nicely exciting. nicely actually. Yeah, the um, hops have been growing well. Um, yeah, and then and it's just been a funny old year. You know, second mm, mm. season of growing um, and just showing me how dangerous i'll be next year if i go out into the world and just how kind of little i know you know we're harvesting brassicas now you know we're harvesting cabbages like we're getting through things like the fractal cauliflower you know the romanesco yes, yeah. the calibres, these things that like last year we were harvesting in a month or two's time mm. um and yet we're getting through the tomatoes now you know mm. the, like there's just this weird kind of interplay of like not a lot of sunlight but things haven't been in the ground for a while, like things growing, you know, humid conditions and some things popping off. Some things like really slowing down. And it's a, yeah, it's been a real kind of like learning curve. So mm. it's it's been fun down on, down in Henry's field. But <laughs> How are you doing? How are the three jobs at the moment? Yeah, juggling three jobs
0: is as it usually is busy, um, but good. I apologize if I burst into any sort of coughing fit at some point this evening, because today we were processing at Croc and Colt. Quite a large batch of chilies for our next uh, bunch of um, or next batch, sorry, fermented chili sauce. Um, it feels nice because all of those chilies came from school farm, so it's kind of nice to kind of have one of my jobs producing something for another one of my yeah. jobs. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's been a funny season. It has been an odd season. Um, and yeah, at Badderford, at Green Ginger Organics, we seem to be everything's flying mm. out of the field now. Whereas it felt like we were having a bit of a slow start to the season. Um, which compared to school farm, particularly with the tomato harvest, seems so variable. So it's interesting, I think, as you were saying, I was reflecting on how every season can be so different. And it's really about being and I think we touched upon this with Robin a couple of episodes ago, but you really have to be so reactive all Mm. of the time Like you're constantly having to react to what's going on, what's going on in the field, how things are changing with regard to the weather different pests and diseases taking hold. But um, yeah, I'm, I, I think I'm feeling good. Um, I was talking to Joe, um, who's in the studio with us this evening, a little bit about next season. So you're right about September being around the corner. It's kind of yeah. really, really knee deep and thinking about what am I going to do next year? Am I going to keep my three jobs juggling away? I don't know. Will there be a small pig factory opening up in my mind at some point who knows I don't know Um, but yeah that was weirdly cryptic Um, but yeah anyway before we like ramble on too much um, I'd really love to bring on our three wonderful guests this evening who we're really grateful for joining us Um, so in the studio we have Joe um, and then over Zoom we've got Hamish and Dot um, who are all here to talk to us a little bit about um, UBI for Farmers um so i'm going to put up their mics and hopefully which i've not i realize i haven't really prepared them to do so but just say a few sentences about who they are um obviously they i think they all wear many hats um but obviously today we're going to be talking about ubi for farmers but if you could all kind of just yeah say a little bit about yourselves and tell us about where you're from what you're doing and yeah how you've come to be here um, so As um, Jo is in the studio, I guess we'll start with her and then we can go over to Zoom.
2: Hello. Thank you for having us. It's really exciting to be here. Um, So, yeah, I'm Jo. I am primarily a grower or trainee grower in like vegetable horticulture, um, but also have started campaigning, uh, coordinating this campaign for a universal basic income for farmers. So I'm on a sabbatical at the moment or working on farms voluntarily um, and just, yeah, working on this project as we go. Mm.
0: Thank you. Yeah. And thanks for coming in. And Dot, would you like to have a word?
3: Yeah. Um, hi. So my name is Dot Tawari. Um I'm freelance working in the food sort of systems world. Um, so of so my hats, we mentioned about hats. Um, <laughs> so I'm one of the coordinating team of SALT, Solidarity Across Land Trades, which is a new farm workers union. Um, I'm also co-founder of Land Justice Oxfordshire. So looking at how land underpins a lot of inequity and equality across society. Um, and I've also been doing some work uh, supporting horticulture and trying to promote horticulture and fruit and vegetable growing as well as new entrant farmers.
0: Great. Thank you. And yeah, last but not least, Hamish.
4: Uh,
3: hello everyone, uh, good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having
4: us on. Uh, it's funny doing a live recording; don't know quite who's listening, but a connection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for tuning in on your Wednesday evening to listen to us chat. Uh, yeah, I'm an organic farmer. i in Somerset. Um, I'm 25, uh, but got into growing quite from a quite young age. So I was about age 16. I moved on to a small uh, solar-powered canal boat. Um, got involved with local projects. Uh, traveled. Worked on organic farms for years. Uh, set up a very small enterprise initially called middle ground growers uh we're doing 30 veg boxes and uh, now it's upscaled to 200 veg boxes a week uh for a community supported agriculture scheme uh we've got now we've got five uh full-time equivalent living wage uh and also three paid trainees and i guess yeah we'll get into this a bit later but we've kind of experienced kind of yeah both all the difficulties and all the economic things of the startup phase and found very creative ways around them Mm -hmm. um but we've also kind of got a taste and a sense of what that means to reach also that stability phase and what how that flow you know creates all this you know amazing creativity and ecological benefit for farms and all the things we'll get into later um another i'm a student young young farming ambassador for the nfu for southwest so um get the pleasure of meeting lots of farmers talking about all these challenges so many things go back to that kind of economic system and just, yeah all the different oh, yeah we'll get into it in a bit but um yeah good to be here uh, yeah had a long day harvesting a bit too much time in the polytunnel so I'm a, bit, a little bit sun stricken today <laughs> 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 in a beautiful day on the farm we've been putting our cob floor into the solar oh, barn big, oh, wow. big, big muddy mucky day as well as harvesting
0: <laughs> sounds good sounds busy and you yeah. all sound incredibly busy people with all of the things that you've just spoken about yourselves lots of things to do and one of the things we were talking about at the pub earlier um, with Joe is sort of capacity and how we like find capacity to do things. So I guess that's something we'll hopefully touch upon mm. um, a little bit during this conversation.
1: I think it's just a passing comment is that <laughs> everybody realises now that... Uh, we take all of the guests who are in person to the pub before, yeah. um, so every single episode that we do of this is now in the pub earlier. We were having this conversation, um which is just something maybe we need to think about finding somewhere else to um,
0: possibly, yeah, possibly support other venues that are
1: available but this is really interesting. this has been the culmination of quite a lot of kind of like work and coordination to like bring us all together, and you know I'm really like fascinated about. This and this is a really educational experience for me, um, and something that I'm like really keen to learn a lot more about, um, because we touched upon UBI for farmers right in. The first ever episode that we did, you know, Mike, you mentioned it. We had a bit of a discussion about it and about other kind of like things that we're really keen to kind of like dive into and understand a lot more. And you know, part of the reason that we do this is that you know, Mike and I are looking to use this space to um, educate ourselves and have these amazing conversations and and look at what brilliant works being done around the kind of food and farming sector and things like that. So, you know. I suppose with that in mind, let's take this right, let's start this mm. right back at the basics. Um, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> but, so, you know, so if we start from the point of view of what even is a universal basic income, because um, it might not be something that everybody's heard about before, it might be a fairly new idea, um, you know, so what do we mean by a universal basic income?
2: I can touch on this, yeah. Um, so uh, basic Income is a form of economic security, uh, so it traditionally goes to all citizens and residents of a country universally, uh, and where they will regularly receive an unconditional sum of money from the government, regardless of income or employment.
1: Okay. And so, what does that? So, what could that be? What, mm-hmm. what, what might that look like?
2: With pilots that are happening at the moment, it's sort of looking at. Sort of sixteen hundred pounds a month for an mm. adult, which after tax works out as about twelve hundred pounds a month per adult okay. for every citizen, regardless mm. of any condition
1: Wow, okay, and
0: I guess with that does is is the idea that this often sits alongside a current sort of the current welfare system or current sort of benefits that people may receive as well, in addition to
2: yeah they want it to work alongside. They would never want it to replace any sort of benefits that people receive, and it's only ever meant to be an
1: addition. Mm. So, uh, yeah. £1,200, that's a not insignificant yeah. amount of money. You know, I'm thinking about, like, what people pay in rent around kind of Totnes and, like, where we are or, you know, in certain other areas of the UK and things, and that could be a significant proportion of... An individual's rent, you know. So, yeah, that sounds... Okay. Mm. Okay.
2: (laughs) Sounds nice. Yeah.
0: Mm. Okay. I mean, the things that that can mean to people. I mean, it's quite... Yeah. I mean, that's... I mean, you mentioned these sort of trials, and maybe this is something we might go on to later, but what... I don't know yeah I guess like why why are the calls because it does seem like ubi definitely is something that is being discussed a lot more at the moment, um although it has been within the conversation for like a long, long time, mm-hmm. like why do you think a ubi is is necessary like what's what what are the current kind of in the uh, yeah need what's the current need for it do you think
2: I think we're in like yeah people keep saying that word polycrisis situation where cost of living inflation, food insecurity. Um, on the horizon is sort of automation and what that might mean for the workforce Um, so there's so many different layers of reasoning for why this would really just support people who are really struggling at the moment
0: Hmm. and just a way to kind of effectively bolster one's income I suppose or perhaps actually I guess it would be as a way of like replacing some of the work that you might have to do in effect Doc did you want to jump in
3: Yeah, I just wanted to add, um, kind of alongside this automation point is also around how AI is going to impact work. Mm, mm, So when mm. we're talking sort of more broadly than just farmers, the way that AI is going to completely transform people's ability to keep, keep jobs as jobs sort of get written off um and it's yeah so that's sort of kind of one extra reason why it's sort of becoming kind of more critical mm. uh, i guess one more is to, that a lot of the systems and schemes currently in place or the policies currently in place just aren't redistributing wealth so the wealth inequality in the uk is absolutely huge mm. and uh, maybe something really radical is needed to start to make that transformation like universal basic income and when you look at it in some ways it's not as radical as it first sounds obviously it's a lot of money but It's being Mm -hmm. piloted in other countries as well, beyond the UK. Um, And it seems to be something that is, yeah, very much. I think like also more recently you were saying about how it's, um, you know, it seems to be very much in kind of common. Mm -hmm. Then it's being talked about. And I think one thing that stimulated it more recently in a more kind of cross party, cross, cross politics basis was the pandemic. And a lot of people with the pandemic hasn't finished. It's for a lot of people they are still living in, in the sort of shadows of aftermath of, of being very sick. Mm. When you have people who aren't actually able to work, um, it, the benefit system is is, is not enough to, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of a sticking plaster on what should be someone mm. being able to have a quality of life maybe that they need until they can get back on their feet. Um, but the, yeah, it's like I think there's, you know, we're not, this pandemic is not kind of one event that will happen and we won't have anything like it happen no, again.
0: No,
3: that's true. It seems like more things like this are going to happen. There's more and more diseases transmitted through animals to humans. And that in part is actually to do with some of the food systems at play so the, the way that we eat now and um, how globalization means our food is transferred, um, what goes into very chemically supported uh, livestock. Like a lot of these things are contributing to that so it's Mm. not going to get these things might happen more and more so this is sort of future proofing rather than just putting sticking bandages onto situations that are escalating
0: yeah definitely and i guess on that as well you speak about this globalized food system that we live in and not only crises of sort of global health pandemics but we spoke a little bit about this earlier about how so much of the sort of global food system is reliant on on the ability to kind of kind of maintain prices and availability. So obviously the the Ukraine war that's still ongoing. Um, I was hearing on the radio this morning about like vast swathes of grain being produced in Russia and that being almost used as a economic warfare of trying to cut out the sort of Ukrainian market of grain. So whilst we're always kind of dependent on these global markets of food as well, um, it's something that can be increasingly sort of volatile, particularly in a changing world. Um, so yeah, I can definitely see something like this Ability to for people to kind of gain a better kind of empowerment and more of this like safety net by having that guaranteed income um, Can really kind of help? Free people from the sort of not only mental stresses I suppose of like the cost of living crisis, but also The mental stresses of just sort of like choosing where their food comes from or maybe supporting local businesses and things like that hmm.
1: So <laughs> Dot you just said it you know, it's not uh you know potentially it is, but it isn't also a particularly radical, you know, idea. And it mm-hmm. you know, to to many people it will, you know, kind of like sound fairly radical. You know, like you know, thinking about where's the money gonna come from for this, you know, where's the you know, is this a brand new idea? you know, how have we kind of come to this point? Has there been a journey that like, you know, people have been on to get to a point of now being thinking about universal basic income, you know, UBI in the round, but also then for kind of like farmers, what's the history of this idea kind of look like?
2: In terms of UBI, the first ever sort of proposal for it was actually in the late 18th century. So this conversation has been okay. swirling for a really long time. We've been close so many times to making it happen. But for me personally, uh, with the farmer connection, I was training to be a vegetable farmer and I just, yeah, first-hand experienced how difficult financially it was to even try and get into the industry, let alone set up a project of my own. Or, Yeah, it was just so so difficult. So I started thinking, oh there must be a solution somewhere Mm. to help people financially. And that's when sort of, yeah, UBI for Farmers sort of started to make sense for me. But I know we all came to it from different places and all similarly at the same time, which was cool. So I'll let (laughs) you guys share how you came to it.
4: Um, Yeah, I also wanted, just before sharing that, I also wanted to add in that I guess historically, we can, you know, universal basic income in those words has been around, you know, for a while and it's, you know, been analysed by economics and, uh, everything like that, and it's, it's sort of been looked at in that modern sense, but looking at a very much more kind of ancient anthropological mm-hmm. uh, context, which is sort of what I initially <laughs> studied before farming or alongside farming, um, you know, like back when we had more cultures of cooperation and conviviality mm-hmm. and not to idolise the past or something, but um, <clears throat> actually in, all, in a lot of ancient cultures, including on these lands, um, you know, we had cultures where the, the principles behind the universal basic, universal basic income was there, like the... It, you know, where it's the hunter that brings back a big mm. deer or something. It's not just all reserved for one person. It's shared out equally, and resources are shared no matter, regardless who's got the you know the the power dynamics and things like that. So, um, you know, resources shared. Essentially, it's about resources being shared equally. And there's also this links to the commons a lot because the commons mm. have been taken away from us. So it's a way to actually to redistribute that the actual wealth that we've uh, been endowed with, both individually but as a society as a whole. That's come from um, you know, many, many threads of uh, both ancestry and the commons and the sort of, you know, and nature basically, but those are actually all, um, then resources for those are actually, they're not shared equally. So I guess there's a sort of commons link and there's a sort of deeper, um, yeah, ancestral link, I guess, Um, in a way just to
0: to bring around sort of full loop. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess on that, there's this kind of viewpoint that I think, I mean, as Dave, you were saying, sometimes I think if you speak to these people, like speak to not these people, if you speak to people about the idea of universal basic income, I do think some people will have this initial reaction, and I think that kind of comes maybe from this very contemporary neoliberal mindset of scarcity, and this that it's so easy to mm. forget that there is this like abundance, and like we do live in abundance, and coming at things as you, Joe you were saying earlier, coming at the world society with sort of more of an abundance mindset of like, there's actually more than enough really to go around. It's just how, at the moment, how things are distributed. It's that's the kind of issue that that's the crux that we're kind of facing really at the moment. And UBI, to me at least seems like a tool which, as Dot, you were saying, can redistribute and make society and wealth distribution, sorry, more equitable, more equal, but also kind of empower people to kind of maybe go back to more communal ways of being. Um, because you're kind of freeing up people that may have like, a lack of capacity, as I was saying earlier, this kind of idea of like, having to work as many hours as possible in order to just like, just pay the rent, just feed them themselves, keep a, ro- a roof over your family's head and feed your family, freeing people up to be able to kind of like, take the burden off that. I don't know, I'm really interested in what this could actually mean for people, I suppose. Like, like what could people do if they didn't have that work burden? Maybe they'd spend more time with their family, spend more time with their kids, building more communal events with their neighbours, with, like, local people, in order to kind of, yeah, live and maybe return, Hamish, as you said, like, to this previous kind of communal way of being, I think, or, like, very much more community-centred rather than being quite individualistic, I suppose.
4: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think you sort of pointed it to the two the two strands of this kind of UBI thing. One is it's just a very pragmatic way to sort of you know overcome a lot of these social, mm-hmm. economic, ecological crises that are intersecting, um, and also as Dot mentioned, a very pragmatic way forward in terms of many looming challenges. And it's become more evident with pandemic, but also Russia-Ukraine crisis and food crisis. Um, so there's this on one side, this strand of like it's just a very pragmatic uh, potential tool for. You know, being also a driver of equality but on the other hand and as you mentioned there's kind of this like and um, there's the hope and the possibility and the vision which is the side i'm really interested in it's like yeah both linking back to this uh, history and the commons and things but um there's this you know hope for actually wow how could that like lead to this more beautiful world that we imagine of like people not just being um you know kind of slaves to an economy that's actually mm. just destroying the planet and people not kind of being caught in the sleep because actually even us you know even people that are like you know, maybe we're organic farming or we're kind of edge dwellers or we're kind of creating some alternative systems. We're still very much bound up mm. in the kind of very backwards mm-hmm. economics. Level. So we can craft, a w- you know, ways through. But it's, um, yeah, until we actually kind of like have those more like paradigm shifts in economy, it's not really going to budge. So I think that's why, and that sort of links to my, I guess, path into it is it's kind of, you know, we've been battling up against this way. We found creative ways around it, but a lot of new ancient farmers uh, might not be able to, access those same things or be able to sort of bash down those doors or you know things are shifting slowly in policy with various things but a bit more support for new entrants. but really we're like we're miles off and actually having the economic shift to actually incentivize mm. you know young people getting farming or like and a whole host for other sectors of society um you know it just shifts that onus onto like valuing and empowering those people rather than kind of you know you just get your rewards per hours of Um, input to the global economy and uh, things like that Um, but yeah it's kind of the visioning side and the kind of very pragmatic uh, Mm. you know just solution to a lot of our crises I guess that's how I've sort of come to it.
0: Yes yeah definitely.
1: So okay so Joe you were mentioning uh, earlier and and you and I think you just referenced one um, when we were on air there so you know before we get into kind of and Tabish, you were touching there on some of the reasons for UBI for farmers. Um- you know, where else or has, you know, UBI been piloted and what are the, some of the kind of like things that have been piloted and, and some of the, you know, if there's any data around what's kind of happened or what people have been doing with the kind of UBI, you know, maybe if you could just share, a, a, you know, some of the pilot kind of studies that mm-hmm. have been going on um, here in the UK or that are posited to be going on in the UK or kind of further afield as well. Um, yeah, what's kind of been happening in this in this sphere?
2: Yeah, there's been sort of hundreds of micro and bigger scale pilots all around the world. There's been uh, Iceland, Finland. uh, There's other examples like the Alaska Wealth Wealth Fund that is sort of similar to UBI but not quite. Um, But on the whole, we don't really have uh, a true example of an actual UBI right now in existence. But there's been lots of pilots. And yet all the things that we would hope to hear about have been found out through the data which is people spend more time relaxing they look after their mental well-being they spend more time with families they think about the food they eat so they will start buying better food for themselves and their families um, they're able to start up businesses and have more innovation in the way that they do they end up working more <laughs> in a lot of instances <laughs> okay. because of the sort of yeah they're they're more confident in what they're doing and maybe they'll go for better paid jobs and actually function better within the system that we already have in place
0: mm. wow
1: okay yeah i mean it all sounds very positive doesn't it, it? Does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, and they've been in what sort of kind of industries or within what kind of like economic standings and things like that, those like pilots and things?
2: Yeah, mixed across the board, but not, we haven't really seen a sectoral approach okay. before until mm, okay. sort of now in um, Ireland, they're doing the basic income for artists pilot, which will run for three years. And it started in 2021. So that's 2,000 artists in Ireland receiving €1,300 a month for three years. And they're going to see sort of how that impacts the creative um, sectors and spaces in Ireland. And then we've got the Welsh Care Leavers pilot that's going on right now. And that's for um, those who turn 18 from July 2022 up to June 2023. And they'll receive £1,600 pre-tax per month, Mm -hmm. but it's £1,200 post-tax. Um, And yeah, so that will be running uh, for two years. And then we have the um, London, so the East Finchley and the Jarrow. Um, pilots, micro pilots that are proposed to happen in the future. They're not quite there with funding yet, but that will be 15 people in Jarrow and 15 people in East Finchley. Um, but yeah, so the, the island one has 2,000 people. Wow, the yeah. Welsh one is set to have about 500 people receiving okay. that. And then, yeah, 30 people across East Finchley in Jarrow.
0: Mm, wow. Okay. Yeah, It's quite an amazing scale difference, I suppose, in those. And I suppose, I mean, we'll probably touch upon this a little bit later, but how... Designing those pilots, I guess, it, in order for a pilot study, I guess, to be representative or like to answer the right questions, I suppose it has to be designed really, really well. So it's interesting on one hand, this sort of island study of having, was it 3,000 people? 2,000. 2,000 people and, think, and, yeah. then a, and then a sort of more micro pilot of 15. Like it's interesting to kind of have that, that variance in the study, I guess. Um, but it's, yeah, the touching, I suppose, on the care one. I mean, this is the thing, and Hamish, you made me think of that now, is like currently work is this this thing that we do in order to like be seen as productive and to like earn money for sort of either physical labor or some sort of skilled labor or something for, um, what's the word, uh, building and benefiting the economic system. But like work, like care work and looking after people, raising families, none of that work has really ever been paid. So it's interesting to kind of have that really built in, in because that is work that, like, we all need as society. We like we need people to be born and be raised and looked after. And there are people in society who need levels of care. And for that work, which is hugely hard labor in effect, and disproportionately done by women, like, it's amazing that that, through large swathes of history, that's just never really been supported, particularly within our current economic model. So it's interesting to kind of have that as a pilot study as well. I think that would be that's really amazing that mm-hmm. that's happening. Um, Dot, I think you wanted to say something and wanted to jump in there.
3: Uh, I was just going to speak to, and I think this is also a bit on what Hamish was talking about, on um, how much, for example, is spent on mental health by the government. Mm. And so we we're talking about, you know, where would this money come from? Mm. It's a lot of money. There's lots of money that the government is spending on, for example. So the NHS spends, I think, £6 billion, £6 billion a year um, to address like, diet-related ill health. So that's all coming from the kinds of things that mean that people don't have time to cook, good healthy food they can't afford good healthy food they're in food deserts and they can't access it because of where they live and they don't have time to go places where they can get better produce um, and i think that also speaks to having more local farmers as well mm, but mm. um and and so how these like there is a lot of money going to sort of put bandages mm. and sticking plasters yeah. again like going back to my previous comment on on these like quite big issues which is systemic and universal you know, basic income is a way of going like in a systems way and going well. Actually, a lot of these problems are caused by that people don't have enough time or money or skills sometimes to to look after themselves in a way that means they can they can have a better um, health in terms of like what their what their diet is or they, they can have a better mental health uh, because then maybe they didn't have time to do exercise or move around or, or their, their employment itself is is causing them difficulty. So this is also a way of addressing lots of other issues mm. that the government is trying to address
1: yep.
3: by pulling loads of money in. Um, but in a way that could actually reduce the overall amount of money that's outgoing, if you look overall at what's going where. Mm. Um, and I think also something about farmers, because, you know, if at the moment I think it's almost irresponsible to encourage Um, people to go into farming unless they have some kind of financial stability or Mm -hmm. or they are just sort of have been able to you know they've had or they've had the privilege of being able to practice growing and learn growing from a young age and like Mm. become very skilled and I I know that um, like on Hamish where Hamish is at middle ground growers they're paying living wage and that's that's incredible but that's not happening on many farms. So it's you know that a lot of people are starting, and and this is really I like Hamish and Joe speak on, but um, through the work with Salt that I've done, like a lot of people are starting on stipends and almost nothing, mm-hmm. and there's reports such as jumping fences and roots into into growing that show that especially for people from the majority, especially for marginalised communities, it's really hard to even consider career land work mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you you're, you're setting yourself up for a, a period of time where you're going to be earning very little. And if you don't have any serving savings or anything to back you up or a stable family behind you or something, then it's there's a lot of hurdles to overcome and And I think that for me, universal basic income is one way that we can support more people to get into farming regardless of their background, and that will start to build the diverse like diverse growers that we need in order to be able to provide food that we need to grow mm. in in the uk. But I, I don't want to speak any more from on the behalf of farmers when there's farmers in the space, so I'll just I'll
0: stop there. <laughs> yeah, Hamish, would you like to join in? Because I guess we have been speaking quite generally about mm. a universal basic income, but yeah, it'd be good. Like, obviously, this is UBI for farmers. Hamish, do you want to speak to why specifically the farming community?
4: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, good to bridge it to farming and why. Yeah, why specifically in this sector? I and mean, I think I, I agree, and also everyone in the kind of a lot of the discussion groups and focus groups that Joe's been doing has kind of emphasized that they'd actually you know want a universal basic income for everyone but, you know also like caregivers essential workers and things it just seems like a no-brainer and farmers are included in that and farmers are mm. care workers And um, but I think as I think it's good to kind of pinpoint it and look at uh, particularly at farmers um, and just also just to build on Joe's point of kind of like you know the cost and the magic money tree and that's often the main stumbling block of people like oh yeah we all agree on this you know values and morals wise of like you know the values of fair shares and stuff and equality but um you know people's main stumbling block will be on the cost and things and like um yeah i think that's becoming more and more nonsense it's like in both in terms of the economic evidence of what's been gathered over the years because you know universal basic income 20 years ago all the criticisms were of like oh you can't afford it and things like that so mm-hmm. since then all the studies have been like you know basically proving it economically um but just looking at kind of, you know, also COVID showing that, you know, when when things need to, money can <laughs> come in for the right things. Um, but just looking at farmers in particular, just from some very like back of the envelope things, there's like 110,000 uh, farmers in the UK, much less than I'd like to have and much less than there were a few decades ago. But um, mainly because of the economic insecurities and things, but 110,000 farmers for them all, universal basic income of 1,000 a month. Uh, looking at like one and a half billion ish per year. So that's way less than what's going in, went into the basic payment scheme, which rewarded farmers based on land ownership and how many acres they owned rather than, you know, wages or livelihoods or anything like that. And that's lucky that's gone, but Elms is in, and Elms is spending more than three billion on things that reward environmental behaviors. And it's a, it's a very good transition, but we need a much more holistic, mm. you know, socio ecological and all of it wrapped up and it's not you know, because it's not conditional. It's actually just like values and empowers farmers to then make those steps and do the environmental things. Uh, um, So, you know, UBI for farmers would cost less than half of the current uh, farm subsidies in the UK. You know, if if we're going on those rough parameters uh, compared to the military budget, that's, that's uh, 2% of the military budget. Uh, It's less than 1% of the fossil fuel subsidies that go in directly from the UK. Um, yeah, and there's many more. Even if you just look at the, as as Dot said, the kind of percentage of uh, NHS costs or mental health costs, or all the indirect costs in society mm. that come through the mental health crisis and through the like poor food diets, ultra processed food, all these things, it's huge. It's in the math billion. So the actual return to society is mm. like hundreds of times for that 1.5 billion or however much it is for that universal basic income for farmers. Um, so it makes absolutely sense on the economic. Out uh, front, and there'll be economists that have done that in much more detail than I have on an envelope. But that's <laughs> been <laughs> uh, from you know, summary from following the discussion over this time. Um, yeah, I guess I can speak a little bit to kind of what Doc was saying about the kind of like that sort of startup journey for farmers, but also like farmers uh coming into this through all the economic barriers and things like that. Because uh, you know, now we are in like a getting to a more stable point, but uh, you know, reality is it's still. It, it, the still main stress and worry is still the economics of it and we'd love to be much more freed up to like uh do all of the wider things on the farm uh we'd like to do all the ecological and social benefits we, we kind of do anyway but that kind of has to come through like veg box income or finding other income mm. and things which is not ideal in such a low margin thing so <laughs> the ways we found around that have been through you know crowdfunding for the startup costs of the farm so we raised 95 grand for a massive crowdfunder uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and that was, you know, just basically a way around to like free up a bit of that economic stability and what that created was amazing. So that's a little sense of like what that UBI can create. And um, when you get a little of that, it's like just to, like have the startup costs. It sounds like a lot of money, but that's the bare basics of starting up a farm that employs a certain number of people and does this much food every week uh, to local people. Um, but before that, there was a whole host of, you know, there's, several years basically of kind of a lot of unpaid work it basically depended upon basically i was living on my boat very low cost to start up the farm and it was through passion and through absolutely loving it and that's what i wanted to do and also it seemed like the best solution to the ecological crisis and all these things i was finding out about as a as a teenager <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know through that you know we, had, we did have uh you know we weren't like anyone at the start um, and that's common for most farms and it was sort of something i did on spare time amongst like studying i actually put a lot of my uni loan into <clears throat> buying a polyton and a few startup costs um <laughs> but in the early years we, you know, <laughs> you know, i'm not suggesting i'm not advising anything here. <laughs> but uh, I was, you know living on a boat no cost growing food and things like that so that was a way around it which is not going to be the reality for most uh, mm. people and then you know we did build the business slowly, and then it you know we got a bit of income from veg, which allowed us to then you know do a bit more buy a few more bits of basic infrastructure and then the startup costs really kind of got it got it going and you know you can actually pay for properly and now it can really operate through that veg box income mm. um but yeah it's still a struggle' it's still actually not in the phase where we're like paying full holiday pay or sick pay, or you'd love to be able to like pay maternity pay and things like that in the early years of our business, but it's just it's not viable' because farming isn't rewarded in the economic system mm. um so that small chunk of money I mentioned, which sounded like a lot, but was actually a very small chunk, to free up that for all farmers and new entrants would make a absolutely, yeah, absolutely like seismic shift. And if you think about how much land of UK that farmers manage and steward, and the potential of all of that land could potentially you know both sequester all the emissions that the UK emits, and not that that's the only metric. But like, just the sheer potential of that, and like land regeneration, ecological solutions. And all the social benefits of these farms suddenly being freed up to do actually what they want to do. And whether it's host volunteer events or, you know, we had 20 people making cob on for the floor today, which is very unusually high turnout. But it was, uh, <laughs> know, it's just an amazing day and amazing social benefit and mental health value and all these different things, which aren't rewarded or recognized. Mm. Um, so I can just really see, and also talking to a lot of conventional farms, I can just see that like uh, having a single conventional farmer or big scale farmer or anyone that's like, doesn't share a lot of, those similar ecological and social values and want them to do good for their land. So, you know, it's not like they're going to stop working once they get an income or they're not going to stop producing food. It's mm-hmm. quite the opposite. They love what they do. We love working on the land and we'll actually have more, free up more capacity and free up more creativity and more vision to actually implement the things that are going to provide all this good for society or that we're providing already but that can actually be fully rewarded and uh, sort of accounted for. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, yeah, I guess a little bit of like our perspective of how, <laughs> how it could potentially
1: out. <laughs> and Hamish um, Joe you, you mentioned earlier you've been doing having some conversations and you know doing some focus groups and such like interviews with um, other farmers and, uh, and Hamish you've touched a little bit on some of the things that but what are the type of things that are coming out from you know the farmers what are the, what are people saying that this would allow them to do the you know this kind of specifics that they that they're not able to do at the moment you know wh- why is this such a thing that could be so freeing for them because, Hamish, you've just spoken very passionately about like your own experience and what it would mean for you as a new starter but for someone who might be you know have been in this field for you know 30 40 years you know mm-hmm. what's what's it going to mean for you know the slightly longer in the tooth kind of like you know more traditional like farmers and things as well
2: yeah, so we've hosted four conversations online in the past year, and we sort of we spoke with twenty farmers, growers, uh, and from that perspective, we hear, you know, I could pay off debt that I had to acquire because of the setup costs years and years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I could spend more time with family. I could not do three jobs. Maybe I could just do two jobs because that was a massive theme in the conversation. Was that? We didn't really speak to anyone who was a full-time farmer. They had to have a second or third job to supplement the funding because they just weren't making any money from that farming. Um, So, yeah, and just mental well-being, Mm -hmm. uh, basic things like annual leave or the ability Mm -hmm. to take sick leave when you're sick and not just push through and just run your body down to the ground. Um, So, yeah, they they were the, the main themes and just feeling secure, not feeling in a constant state of precarity if Mm. that's the
0: right word yeah i'd say so Mm. yeah yeah so it sounds i mean it's incredibly fundamental Mm. like it feels like it would make such a fundamental difference Mm. um i mean to to anyone's lives but obviously yeah talking about for the farming sector at the moment um but so as as an organization as the ubi for farmers like where oh actually sorry doc did you want to come in on that point
3: I just wanted to add one thing to, to speak for smallholder farmers in particular. Mm, yeah. um, so like, uh, you know, in um, like middle grows now, it's much bigger, but in its initial state, like many other market gardens and, and smallholder farms, uh, they don't meet the government threshold no. mm. uh, of five hectares, which means they count as a farm. Yep. And that means they don't get any of the subsidies. So we've talked about the subsidy changes and mm. Elm schemes and so the Environment Land management scheme. But Farms that are under five hectares aren't accessing any of those subsidies. So, the universal basic income is a way to provide support for farms. That are smaller mm-hmm. and often especially agroecological or organic they're likely to have more people working the land mm-hmm. because it's quite an intensive process and they're producing lots of food for lots of people but more people means it's more difficult for farmers and the great thing about universal basic income for farmers is that it's for individuals so if you have more people working the land you have more money coming to each of those people rather than one landowner who gets a large mm-hmm. amount of money regardless of whether they have their it's only them and looking after a flock of sheep or you know they maybe have seasonal workers sometimes so it's a much more kind of solid mm. sustainable way of supporting smaller farms um a lot of whom are really trying to support um like the soil thinking about soil health biodiversity um, like the farms that joe and um, hamish ha- have worked on or work on and they're providing rural jobs um, they're supporting biodiversity uh, and they're like actively mitigating climate change so these are all things that the government wants and that wider society knows that we need mm. and the current subsidy system just doesn't do that and it doesn't look currently like it's going to change like i would love it to change i would love even if they halved that figure and said actually so five hectares is about 12 acres mm. if they halved that it would be closer to what the average smallholder market garden is if mm. they halved it, it would make an incredible difference but if that doesn't happen then universal basic income for farmers is one way that you can still reach and support the the growers that are working at a smaller scale but feeding their local community which is ultimately vital for food security um and as we mentioned before you know with with wars and with all of like uncertainty going forward and how climate change is going to impact uh, the way that we grow food that this is all really critical so mm. i just wanted to add that bit in there
1: and not just on that. It 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 sounds to me like from what you're saying though as well that actually having something like a UBI would be much more effective in the redistribution of like and the supporting of individuals who are on that land than actually just reducing that threshold at which you know mm. subsidy payments would be made because potentially that's going into. You know, a farm manager pocket or one one individual's pocket, rather than all the people on the mm-hmm. land. Um, you know, and the, and other kind of like things in there. So um, yeah, I think it's it, it's a really interesting thing to think about how this might fit alongside other kind of like subsidies, or actually improve upon for the kind of redistribution of the kind of like the of, of wealth and economic economic kind of potential um, to a much wider kind of like, like you know. Workforce, mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the thoughts I was having in there as well is the amount of um, individuals who farm on their own and just wondering about, you know, the potential for then being able to employ or have another and have other people there and just to, like having more communities around farms on a larger scale and individuals not having to be on their own. And the suicide rate of farmers is incredibly high. Um, And it's, you know, an incredibly difficult job, very, very low returns, so much stress, all of that debt that potentially people are laden with and being alone, you know, for an Mm. awful long time and mental health just being what it is. You know, this just feels like forgetting, you know, the the amount of money which, you know, is in the NHS, just like using this as a kind of like down payment on individuals' mental health as well. Mm. Seems like it would be incredibly positive um so yeah just it's, it's interesting you know i think it's really nice to kind of like reflect upon this and how it might fit within or fit alongside those kind of other subsidy systems and and interesting to hear you talk about that dot so thank you
0: mm. um Hamish, you want to- yeah
4: yeah thanks for bringing that in, and that's um yeah i guess just to add from our experience is like you know looking around on the fields today you know we're we've had like eight paid people on this land on this 15 and a half acres, um, you know, and really like amazing strong community around it and 200 customers, of veg boxes every week, plus wholesale, plus markets, something like that. And it's the amount of people and interactions and connections. And this all links to what you said on, day, on mental health, Dave, but the amount of generative and land relationship uh, building that all of this brings is, it's absolutely huge. And, uh, you know, neighboring farms, it's might have 500 acres or a few thousand acres. Uh, one person uh, is debt driven, can't take any holiday and economic insecurity and um and it, i remember there's a phrase from i think it's guy standing i hope i get it right because i was listening to his podcast in the build-up to this precariat <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of about like um there are those in society that are not really precarious but mostly like debt-driven just like a wage slip away from this or from that you know that it's that vulnerability it's the same as the vulnerability mm. in our food system like a few days away from supermarket shelves being empty mm-hmm. just the same as in our economic many people are in that you know a, one wage slip away and that supplies mm. so much to farmers because you're like one one crop damage away so many farmers have gone out of business the reason why that number i stated earlier was so low is because so many farmers have mm. left it because of like whether it's avian flu one bad season one bad crop damage one policy change one like bad year and or one supermarket rejecting their crop or something like that they're they're a sort of precariat in that sense mm. the guy standing was saying that it's really like the the, one of the main reasons for this universal basic income is to like to adequately kind of you know raise that floor level and raise mm. that line for that those you know the precariats in society they're actually like meeting all the making all the essential needs for everyone else actually providing for everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these farmers that are our neighbors that are kind of like running a huge farm essentially on their own that could have all these benefits from having it as whether it's more collaborative or just like more economic security or not Mm. Yeah, not just by living in that kind of close to survival mode of like one step away from farm failing or from um, crop damage or something like that. If they're freed up to not be in that, then like, yeah, there's going to be huge, huge shifts in farming and, you know, landed across the UK and things like that. Um, I just want to quickly mention, this is a very different um, thread in a way, but it's kind of, it's very opposite to that kind of the the Mombia vision or other visions that mm. are really like take away from farmers and mm. reject the farmers. A Big topic to open right at the end, but, <laughs> but
3: instead,
4: <laughs> the approach is turn away from farmers and turn away from working like land and humans in harmony. Mm. Um, and that instead, this kind of UBI for farmers and this thing actually turns towards and says, actually, let's, inv- let's value and empower yeah. all these people, just the care economy or the farming economy, value and empower them to actually make the changes And have that fundamental belief uh, in that humanity and in humans as for generators. Mm. And then you have huge paradigm shifts from that.
2: And we're not the only ones looking at this. No. In Canada as well, the uh, National Farmers Union has actually endorsed a UBI mm. for farmers because they think it will help mend the gaps in the current farming support system. So it's sort of happening all over and it mm. feels quite exciting.
1: Mm. And I was just kind of, you know, to touch on both of those points because it, 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 it's potentially quite a huge thing. And I wonder, Hamish, to your point around like that precariat and, you know, the precarious nature and things like that. And, and the you know us being you're being one crop one damaged crop away from you know going out of business and things and wondering how much of that's a barrier to people actually changing practices and moving towards more more regenerative kind of like uh, agroecological ways of farming and thinking that this is a way of us making a down payment on the future of actually people transitioning to more regenerative practices and being able to take you know, I'm not saying more risk, but be able to have the time to actually make that transition. Um, and it feels again, like, you know, with all the things that we're asking people to do with Elms and like moving in that way and all of these things, this is again, something that could just help people to stop spraying and praying and actually like move towards different kind of farming practices, which otherwise there's so much jeopardy in making that kind of left turn or making that change that. It, it's terrifying to even think about it for a lot of people mm. um so and that yeah. was
2: something that was evident in the conversations we right. had lots of people said you know we want to do all these good things but we just don't have the upfront finance to make it happen so mm. yeah that was super mm. evident
0: yeah yeah and i can imagine it definitely being a huge boon and tool for st- stopping people leaving the profession as you said dot and hamish but also bringing more people back onto the land and really Mm -hmm. regenerating rural economies really regenerating local economies and yeah bringing back that regenerative sort of mindset effectively to really steward the land so we're coming up to the top of the hour nearly um but i wanted to speak and touch hopefully briefly on what work you as ubi for farmers have done so far i mean obviously we've heard that you've you've had some talks and these meetings with farmers but I know that you're kind of in the midst of trying to plan and come up with a pilot scheme so Mm -hmm. I wanted I wondered if you could touch a little bit on maybe just where you're at and Mm -hmm. with this report writing that you're doing and
2: Yeah, sure. So we've had all the four conversations. We've been transcribing them and lifting quotes that we think are relevant. And, you know, all of the challenges that we might face with this idea are all going to be put into this report um, that we're co-publishing with a think tank called Autonomy. So they're sort of like acting as mentors. We're not financially funded uh, by anyone. We're all voluntary working on this. Um, and we're hoping to launch the report at Oxford Real Farming Conference in January 2024. So that's sort of the timeline where we're at. But ultimately, people are asking us the questions like, what does a pilot look like? How much might that cost? So we're, we're going to start <laughs> designing a pilot soon, we hope, as a collective, as a working group. Uh, and then we will start approaching funders or calling out for people to help us financially with that.
0: Mm-hmm. And quite exciting. So, you're, so at the RFC, what, what, in what guise are you launching these?
3: So, Dot and Dot, Hamish which, yeah, are going to be at RFC. Yeah, So, um, well, the RFC was so excited about this idea. Um, Joe was telling us they've actually asked us to do two sessions.
2: Very oh, wow. um, okay. well.
3: So that's very exciting. So, uh, Hamish and myself will be doing one session, um, which will be kind of just kind of talking and sharing about the early conversations, um, the farm workers, food producers, and and like report launching the report. Um, and then there'll be another session as well and um maybe joe can share the names of the other two people doing those because i've only just met them but um yeah it's it's really exciting because you know and there's there's a lot of interest from the real farming trust and the rfc for anyone who doesn't know um is the alternative or used to be at least the alternative <laughs> i guess it still is but, to the farming conference which takes place at the same time in oxford and um much like I hope some of a lot of what we're what we're doing, what we're working on the o r f c used to be the much smaller sort of fringe event um and now it's the far bigger international mm-hmm. with partly online partly in real life we've it, It's expanded so much it doesn't fill any it can't it doesn't fit venues anymore we have to like <laughs> there's like multiple venues the city splitting everyone out, so it's huge and and this is like part of the sort of bigger movement of people who want to farm better. In a way that benefits like land and people, and like uh, tackles climate change and biodiversity crises. So, hopefully, like for farmers is also part of this journey of like expansion and uh, abundance uh, towards what we really need.
2: And Guy Standing is actually going to be joining us for those sessions. Mm, He was really interested to hear about our project, and he'll be facilitating with Dot and
0: Hamish at those sessions too. Mm. And sorry, Hamish, please.
4: Oh yeah, I get, Um Yeah, I guess just to reiterate that that um, one, it's all sitting within this kind of broader context of this kind of yeah, we're we're facing huge like tipping points in farming and food systems, and um, yeah, in economics and things like that. You know, from being involved with the National Farmers Union a bit, really got like an insight into huge shakeup and shifts that are happening there, which is really exciting. Lots more bridges to be built mm. and links to like the small scale and the regenerative and and things like that, which is what we're trying to do. So I'll be sort of taking it into there and trying to, you know, they've got good access to main uh, politicians and prime ministers and things like that to kind of actually try and make those shifts happen and try and obviously you know, sound check with a lot of the more conventional farmers who this, you know, re- I think it should really be rooted in if the transition is going to be effective, in my view, um, not just in this kind of echo chamber as well. We all agree and things like that. So I guess for me, the bridge burden is a big part of it. Um, And I guess the broader, you know, we talk about UBI for farmers, but we need to sit in this kind of broader economic thing as well. And we're looking at kind of, you know, it's got to fit with also like training for new growers because you know, average age of farmers is 60 and that's a huge reason why this UBI is so much more needed because otherwise not going to have any farmers or it's just going to go to Bill Gates or whatever projects. (laughs) (laughs) So like for that to continue for land regeneration to actually happen, it's all tied up with that. So we need like the training aspects and then it's kind of got to come with this whole policy package. So Mm -hmm. I guess just leave it on that. It's not, yeah, this UBI is kind of part of this broader thing, but it is a really exciting time for it. And it's like, it feels like that kind of Overton window or that window of change Mm -hmm. and paradigm shift is kind of here, like post COVID post so many trials of UBI uh, post so many, or, you know, also anticipating so many crises and looming things. It just feels like, you know, if the time that we're actually going to make this happen and, know maybe started with farmers or with essential workers or care workers or whatever and then extending out starting with pilot schemes on a bioregional level for example um but yeah it seems like the time's really come to both make it work pragmatically but also with that hope and that vision side we talked about as well Mm
2: -hmm. and scott santens has a really nice oh sorry you go dot
3: no i was just gonna say i wanted to add i wasn't at all saying like for, for me that's why it's so critical that it's ubi for farmers and we're not differentiating between any farmers i just want to reiterate like i, mm. I think we all need to move t- like together and like mm. this should go to all farmers like all farmers need to be celebrated more like we don't value farmers or food enough mm-hmm. in the uk um so yeah sorry i just wanted to add like mm. and make that very clear Like, i think i think you guys should be for everyone and that all farmers are working very hard mm-hmm. and yeah we, we want to we, we want to kind of support farmers through this scheme broadly And every farmer
2: we talked to, Mm. they wanted UBI for everyone. (laughs) But we sort of had to say to them, we have to start where we are. (laughs) And the quote that I was going to reference was Scott Santens, who said this last year, that UBI does not solve everything, Mm -hmm. but it does make everything a little bit more solvable, Mm. which is sort of, yeah, how I feel we've got to start somewhere. We've got to make it better somehow.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it seems like a really interesting tool and a really pertinent tool, Hamish, as you said, at this time, where... It feels like, I mean, Dave and I, in earlier episodes of this podcast, have kind of spoken a little bit about there are so many systemic issues that are happening. And a lot of them are kind of, the answer is like, how do we change the economic system? And I mean, it's very easy to kind of dream up like various alternatives of like, oh, when the system changes... Um, but, like, that doesn't necessarily happen overnight. But this, like, UBI really feels like a, a great lever through which to, like, pull within our current kind of economic system, in a way, to really, yeah, make some change and to really kind of help a lot of those other problems perhaps, yeah, be,
1: become solvable, basically. And I think, you know, the, the, in a really economically viable way.
0: Yes. You know, in, a, yeah. in
1: a, what is an, a, an affordable way you know given the the percentages that you were giving there hamish and like you know uh, earlier on it is a fraction of what is being spent in other areas but which could have huge gains and huge momentum shifts and provide so much to people in across the farming like you know the sector and wider health benefits and you know wider benefits across the uk so yeah let's just thank you and like you know <laughs> please keep doing what you're doing and like yeah let's, let's get you back on in a bit and let's mm-hmm. you know let's continue these conversations and let's see how these things go yeah definitely. it sounds wonderful
2: it's great to hear that you all think it's a good idea but there might be people <laughs> out there who might not think it's a good idea and we still want to hear from you like if you have any thoughts or ideas or you just want to support the campaign you can email us at ubi4 the number uh, farmers at farmers gmail.com
0: perfect and yeah, I just want to thank you all again for joining us, uh, Dave and I. We're sort of yeah, imminently having to end the show. Um, but yeah, thank you all for tuning in and thanks to Dot Hamish at home. Um, and also thanks, Joe, for being in the studio. Mm-hmm. And yeah, let's maybe do a, a live at ORFC podcast, Dave, perhaps we can check in with what's happened.
1: <laughs> yes, let's do that.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. Right. That's yes. Good. And thanks very much. Good
1: start here. very
0: much. Thank you.